Hello, Mzanzi, and welcome to episode 294 of the Farmers Inside Track podcast. My name is Duncan Wasua, and I'm your host for this episode. Over the next few months, we'll be in conversation with NetBank, who has demonstrated its commitment to the agricultural sector through various initiatives and services. Through a series of insightful conversations, you and I will get to hear how the bank has positioned itself as a solution to Mzanzi's agricultural sector. In this episode, we focus the conversation on how collaborating with the right partners can help the agri-sector thrive. John Hudson, NetBank's Head of Agriculture, joins us to talk about how they have built a reputation as market leaders in financing sustainable solutions across the agricultural sector and why they are deeply committed to technological innovations and more. John, welcome to Farmers Inside Track. Thank you, Duncan, and good to be with you on this podcast. Great to have you, John. I want to get right into it. In your opinion, what are the most significant challenges that the agricultural sector had to deal with over the past five years? Have there been any high points during that time, would you say? I think it has been a period of highs and lows, to be honest. So lots of challenges, but then lots of good things as well. So, you know, what I must say, it's been a bit of a roller coaster ride. I mean, if you think back, and I'll probably go back slightly more than five years you go back to the previous drought that we had, the most intense drought in some years happened in 2015 and 2016. What we saw there was the full impact of the El Nino. And just to demonstrate that, you know, reduced our maize crop to about 50% of what we've harvested this year. So if you look at this year's crop at 16.4 million tons, in that period, it dropped right down to 8 million tons. So we can see that from the drought years to some very good rainfall years for that matter. So following that period, the last four seasons, we've seen really good rainfall, coupled with some good prices as well. So that's the extent, you know, as I said, this year's maize crop is looking to yield 16.4 million tons. Really fantastic. But then we look at COVID, you know, that falls into this five-year period. And I think COVID to start with was really positive for the sector. And it, it was positive in a number of ways. Yes, we saw really good growth coming through. So 13.1 and 8.4% increase in the sector's output. So that was a positive period, you know, and that was done in the backdrop of many other sectors struggling. Sort of agriculture came to the fore. But what is possibly even more important was that I think the image of the sector um, stood up well. Food security, and, and it has now become a real buzzword, but if we think about food security, it was in that COVID period, which I think people gained a far better understanding of what food security means. And so the COVID period was a mixed bag, I suppose, some positives and quite a few positives for the sector. But the lingering impact of COVID really meant that world supply chains came under extreme pressure. And then, of course, we had the war between Russia and Ukraine. And to be honest, that just really was a cherry on the top. The uncertainty and the risk just went through the roof. We saw that impact flooding through into our local market and the extreme pressure that brought. So whether it was input costs, for example, uh, food inflation started to run, freight costs doubled. So the cost of freight from 21 to 2022 doubled year on year. And that was a significant blow for the sort of export sector. So if you were exporting deciduous fruit or citrus or macadamia nuts or pecan nuts, whatever you were doing, the freight costs really decimated profitability. And we saw that as a massive risk that came through and the financial risk that came with it. So quite a few farmers went into financial distress. And as a bank, we had to help them through that. And then of course, in 2023, load shedding kicked in properly. 
And if it wasn't bad enough, this elevated risk that we were seeing was now sort of exacerbated by load shedding and, of course, rising interest rates. So with inflation rising, you know, interest rates have increased right around the world for that matter. But in South Africa, if you had debt which you had to service, the impact of load shedding and then also interest rates really put extreme pressure into the sector. And I must say that if I look at this over the five-year period, farmers have done extremely well. They've done so well that, in fact, the resilience of the agricultural sector just astounds me. That's not to say that still plain sailing at the moment. It's not at all. And we've still got a lot of factors to face going forward. If you look at infrastructure, for example, that is a massive concern for us. Geopolitical issues. We saw that diplomatic spat with the United States sort of raise its head a few months ago. So all of these issues, look at energy and security of supply of energy. It's a massive issue. As I said, crumbling infrastructure, the cost of doing business is rising all the time. And for our sector to remain competitive, bearing in mind that we export more than 50% of what we produce, that's by value, of course. We need our infrastructure to really work well, and that road, rail, port infrastructure, et cetera. So yeah, the last five years is certainly a mixed bag. So of course, uh, John, you know, these challenges and these issues that you talk about, the blackouts, the interest rates, poor infrastructure, service delivery, geopolitical tensions, many of these issues appear to be out of the hands of producers and other players along the agri-value chain. What can they do to mitigate against potential business losses and other challenges? Sometimes it's not that easy because the external shocks can be outside their control. So very few people really knew that COVID was going to hit us and then the war between Russia and Ukraine. So these are factors which, as you indicated, are often outside the farm's control. However, if I simplify this, you know, put it into two buckets, I suppose, is our farming clients and the value chain, for that matter, faced with business risk on one end, and that's all the factors that impact your business. Now, this is not looking at the finance side of it and how the business is financed, but the business risk. So, you know, you were talking about things like disease risk, phytosanitary risk. So if we look at citrus, for example, they've had to deal with citrus black spot and also false codling moth. And you could argue that in particular, the countries within the EU are looking at it from a protectionist point of view. But the fact of the matter is, is that our farmers need to manage these risks. So whether it's citrus black spot, false codling moth, and many other diseases. If you look at livestock, we look at foot and mouth, for example. If you look at you know, other factors, whether it's avian flu, swine flu. So the biosecurity measures on farm are critical. And as a commercial farmer, in particular if you're exporting, but even for local markets, you have to comply with a lot of factors. And therefore, management of your business risk on farm is critical. So if I look at business risk, it's everything that impacts the business and what you do on the farm. The other part of it, as I indicated, is financial risk. And financial risk is essentially how much debt you take on board. And so the more debt you take on board, the higher your financial risk. And in a period like this, where the rates of interest are rising, that financial risk really is felt by farmers, in particular those that are carrying high debt loads. So if you have the combination of business risk and financial risk, that's a total risk that a business faces. Now, I think it's really important for farmers, of course, to understand what these risk drivers are and where they fit into you know, business versus financial and really understand how to mitigate those risks on farm. Now, some of it is in the farmer's control and some not. So you, you obviously, as a farmer, you will focus on the ones within your control. 
and make sure that you've got your own house in order. It's really important for a bank, of course, who is now working together with the farmer to really understand that. It's to know your client. You really got to know your client. You've got to know their business. So as a banker, we need to understand their businesses as well as they do. Because in having robust discussions around what these risk drivers are and how farmers actually mitigate them is really important for us as a financier, but for the client to prove to us in terms of his sustainability from a financing point of view. So is there financial sustainability and have they looked at these different factors? Farmers will often run a sort of a what if or a stress test in terms of their cash flows. And they will build into that, what if this happens? So, you know, if the price drops by 20% or if your fertilizer price goes up by 20%. So what is the impact of these factors on your business and the financial sustainability? We work very closely with our clients to understand their business, understand what their long-term goals are as well. And then what could impact them in achieving those long-term goals? I mean, it's all very well to have this lofty long-term goal. But you need to be able to navigate the good and the bad, you know. And we spoke about at the beginning of this podcast what some of those challenges are. And you've got to take these things into consideration. Of course, balancing the right level of financial support in terms of how much debt can a farmer take on board. Well, that's not a perfect science, but you really got to think about it is does the farming operation have the ability to navigate some of these downturns? And so I mentioned earlier about citrus having a a tough time in the latter part of 2022 and 2023. That downturn, is your client able to navigate that? And of course, you've got to often take a longer term view because many things in agriculture have a lag effect between the investment and the return. So it's really important that all of this comes together and you can start to understand that the level of complexity and sophistication in these discussions with clients is important. But at the end of the day, we're trying to understand the risk in the business and support them on their growth plans into the future. So for me, business risk, financial risk, knowing your client and knowing them really well and understanding their business is, is absolutely paramount. As a farming business, you know, bearing in mind that, that the business faces these challenges. And, and at times they can be really daunting, but you need a partner that, that understands that and that is prepared to work with you and take a longer term view. And therefore, choosing your financial partner is part of that process. If you've got a bank that understands you as a client and understands your business and is prepared to support you through the downturns, now you need to have that discussion to understand, are we on the same page yet? Because it's not just open gates in terms of granting more funding, more funding, more funding to support a client through a downturn. It's having those discussions and then understanding that if a downturn hits the business, What does your financial partner need from you as a client? And where do we go from here in terms of a longer term plan towards recovery? So choosing a financial partner is key. And I think it's true of all the partners that a farmer would look to. So it's not only your bank. Obviously, there's a multitude of strategic partners that a client would look to in terms of support. And and those partners need to add value to the farming business. If they're not adding value, then, well, then why are they there? And, And the farming business is going to look elsewhere. So any partner needs to add value. What to do at NetBank is also try and bring in partners because we do recognize that in many sort of instances, if you look at building climate resilience, for example, so climate risk is a major risk going forward. And as a bank, through our partnership with the likes of WWF, we can bring that awareness and share that with our farming clients. So what is this climate risk all about? Then bringing in other partners who are able to add value. So if you're looking at whether it's water, water efficiency, for example, you know, would be really important. 
energy security. So if you're looking at your security of supply in terms of energy and the impact it has on your business, if you're looking at food waste, the likes of food for the SA, et cetera. So it's, if we can, as a bank, pull in key partners that then add value to the farming business and it supports this farmer's outlook in terms of where they're going, that's the role that we're playing. So yes, choosing a financial partner is, is certainly paramount. Now, John, of course, NetBank has built a reputation as market leaders in financing sustainable solutions across the agricultural value chain. Can you tell us a bit more about this? You know, I did mention this briefly in the previous question around choosing the right partners. As I've said, there's a multitude of partners that a farmer will look to in terms of adding value to their business. And they've got to have trusted partners, you know, people that bring value to the table and that can stand by that the advice that they bring. And so I think one of the key components going forward, I did mention this, climate risk is a massive risk. There are times where I'm a bit worried that climate risk gets put into the background. So if you look at COVID, if you look at the Russia-Ukraine crisis, you would argue that climate risk goes into the background. But the next drought is around the corner. We've seen the intensity of floods. We've seen the variances in temperature ranges just increasing, et cetera. So I think no one doubts that our climate risk is real. And therefore, building climate resilience is hugely important for, for the farming sector. Because agriculture is both a contributor to climate change, but also a recipient of climate change. So we sit on both sides. We are really impacted. And therefore, much of our focus at Nedbank is about sustainability and transformation. You can break both of those down into more detail, but from a sustainability point of view, partners like the WWFSA bring immense value in terms of the information that we share around climate change. And they also contribute to some of the solutions that we're starting to see because, you know, initially there, there was not a lot of information around sustainability. We know about the risks, but, you know, does it actually lead to better margins? Does it lead to a more sustainable farming business going forward? Is that farming business competitive into the future? And so many people were a bit worried about taking the leap because, you know, often things got worse before they got better. But we're starting to see sort of evidence and information that supports this. And so much of the work that we do is building awareness, creating awareness, recognizing farmers and farm businesses that are doing some really good stuff. So if you look at our MPO, which is a milk producers organization, Dairy Stewardship Awards, there's a very good example where we're showcasing what farmers are doing. And it's, there's some really outstanding stuff. If you look at the Climate Smart Ambassador Project is a really good example of what extensive farmers, mainly beef and sheep farmers are doing in terms of building climate resilience on farm. So we like to showcase that. We like to give recognition, you know, where it's due. What we then do is also partner, if we look at water efficiency, Agrico is an irrigation company that does largely center pivot irrigation, but also drip irrigation, micro jet irrigation, et cetera. They really do an end-to-end -end process when it comes to water, water efficiency, and also irrigation. So we've partnered with them in terms of they are out there to install, sell and install irrigation equipment. And as a bank, we're there to finance that. So we've got this partnership with them in terms of water. If you look at home energy, which is on the energy security side. So if we look at energy security, it's, it's a massive issue. And load shedding has really emphasized that this year. So we felt when it comes to renewable energy, you need a partner that's going to take you through this. This is, this is a bit different to just buying the latest John Deere tractor, which you now trust and you understand. Renewable energy and understanding what it can do for you and where it fits into your business is a decision that needs to be taken carefully. And matching the supply and demand is critical. And someone like Home Energy can help you with that. 
and then also position which of the installers are credible and which one meets the needs of the farmer. So there's a really good partnership with Home Energy as well. If I turn to transformation, and this is a, a space which I think South Africa is moving too slowly in, there's a lot of effort going in, but I, I'm just worried that we're not making the tangible progress that we should. And what I am seeing is that partnerships, again, are really coming to the fore here. Because if you can partner with the likes of SAPELS, which we have a partnership with, but also with Hortfin and Vinpro, I mean, just to give three examples, partnerships that we forged with people are looking to, to take transformation forward. If you can bring like-minded partners to the table and you can put a package together that focuses, and in this case, transformation, where each partner brings some value to the table, then you get a better solution. Because I think historically, financiers, but maybe other partners as well, or players in the space, it's a loan, and it's quite difficult to loan. And there again, we need government on board from a blended finance scheme to then funnel that grant funding through the commercial banks. That's still work in progress, and there's been some negotiations between government and the commercial banks on this, and we really hope that this gets finalized. But the point I'm making around financing sustainability and transformation, and I've put it into the same discussion here, are vital. Those are two key focus areas for NetBank going forward. And we think there's a lot of value to be brought to the table by bringing like-minded partners together. So those like-minded partners need to be committed. We need to understand what the end game is. And we need to pull government into the picture as well. Because if you can do that, I think you've got a very powerful solution, whether it's to combat climate change or whether it's to solve for the transformation. And on both fronts, we need to do a huge amount of work. So for NetBank, in tackling both sustainability, or if you want to call it climate change and transformation, we have taken a multi-pronged approach, if you want to call it that. So one is, is obviously to build partnerships with key stakeholders that we feel can add value, probably far better value than what NetBank can. And that's where the likes of SAPELS, Wartfin, Vinpro come into play. We've also had a lot of discussions with the commodity associations as well. We feel that they are critical is, as part of the discussion here and working very closely with them. So from a NetBank point of view, what we have done is to then back up these partnerships with innovative products. And if you look at renewable energy, for example, we do understand that to finance this adds more debt to your balance sheet. And I did speak earlier about financial risk and the more debt you add. But quite honestly, if we don't deal with load shedding and the potential impact on a business, then we've got real problems in terms of financial sustainability. And so what we did here is that one example is that what we did here was to look at the time period, and we extended that the repayment ability to 10 years. Now, that's far beyond what you would normally find in the marketplace. You know, if you're looking to finance, say, a farm bucky or a tractor or something, five years, maybe six years maximum. So to ease the pressure on the cash flow, we went to 10 years, 120 months. And essentially what that meant is that we were looking to try and make a cash flow neutral. So although you did take the debt on board, the savings in your electricity costs, and now what you're finding, the savings in your diesel costs for that matter, because you know, the cost of burning diesel is, is just going through the roof. So all of that is then brought into the equation and we sit with the client and understand the pressure on their cash flow and we're trying to ease it in that regard. So that in support of the partnership with the likes of Home Energy, who are adding value in terms of helping a client as to which renewable solution to go with. Bearing in mind, there's a lot that can be done before you go to putting up a solar panel plant, for example. But, you know, once you've decided to go that route, is having home energy take you through it, but then NetBank to finance it. And I think this extended time period makes a lot of sense. What we are finding around the extended time period is that, quite honestly, the business case 
is stacking up where the where the repayment period on these investments is coming down all the time. So we're seeing the return on, on investment as electricity prices go up and as you factor in other costs like additional diesel and possibly you know the risk of not meeting your numbers in terms of yields, et cetera. So we are seeing that the payback periods have come right off. So you might not need 10 years, but that's just some indication of what we're trying to do because we need to balance this and we need to work through with our clients. If you look at a transformation, and I mentioned SAPELs as being a key partner for us, and SAPELs are doing extraordinary good work in this space where they are identifying the projects, they're looking at the legal structures, they're getting a lot of that groundwork in place. And that's critical. Often deals will come to us and that hasn't been well addressed. And SAPELs is able to do that. And they then package it, bring it through to NetBank. And we are applying a differentiated credit approach to our transformation deals, which means we're just looking at this with a different lens because it hasn't really worked. If we look back over 10, 15 years in terms of the transformation space, there has not been sufficient progress made. We are fully recognizing of the fact that banks need to look at this differently. So that's what we've committed to do is to apply a differentiated approach to transformation. It's not only the credit approach, but just the entire approach, which includes partners as well. We are still looking for grant funding, mind you. I did mention this earlier where the availability of grant funding helps reduce the financial risk. And I know I've been talking a lot about financial risk, but really, if you're a farming business and you're wanting to navigate the challenges that come your way, and there are a lot that do come our way, having a lower debt load helps you navigate that better. So those are are two examples where in the energy space and in the transformation space, NetBank is applying a new approach, if you want to call it that. And I think that's what it requires. It's not just a product push. It's not just a sales push, but it's trying to understand our clients' businesses and support them with products and services and partnerships that actually put together a really decent package. John, it's no secret that agriculture is a rapidly evolving sector. What is NetBank doing to ensure it stays relevant? If stakeholders, suppliers to the farmer don't stay relevant, then they're going to be out of business or the farming business will just look elsewhere. I also think that farmers of today expect their partners to be investing in technology themselves and to be moving with the times, to be certainly thinking about this. Because if you're demonstrating your willingness to grapple with this type of question and as to what it means to add value, Although you might not have all the answers, I think your clients will will see the positive in that. So I do go back to, and I have mentioned it quite a few times now, but knowing your client and knowing their business is critical. That's the starting point. If you're going to add value to a client, and here, yes, we're talking about technology, but if you're going to be adding value to a client in a technological sense, then you have to know your client and their business. And it doesn't help going into a business and trying to sell them something that they don't really need. So that's important. And also that the long-term view I spoke about, really important because over time, the technology that is employed in a business over time and understanding that the, the investment required upfront and sometimes the lag, and that can apply to technology as well. It's not only planting of a citrus tree, which might take four or five years to start bearing, but some of the technological investment as well takes time. So if you're putting in a new electronic sizes into your packhouse, for example, the latest technology. Well, that comes at a cost, you know, so understanding that is really important. I like to think that South African farmers are one of the best adopters of technology in the world. And I say that because, quite honestly, agriculture has been under a cost price squeeze effect for many years. The last 20, 30 years, I've seen this continual cost price squeeze. And yes, many farmers have just got bigger to combat that. 
but certainly technology has, has helped them do more with less. So I think the advances in technology, and I mean, a simple example would be precision farming. So the adoption of precision farming by farmers is an effort to do exactly that, do more with less. And so you start to look at what technology can do for a farmer. And bearing in mind, many farmers are a long way from anywhere. So anything that saves them time in their businesses. So electronic banking was a good example of that all those years ago, which moved away from the farmer having to go into his local branch. He could do it at home and at what time he wanted to. This has been this continual move towards better technology. And now we see it, the exciting stuff happening now is how does the sector make the best use of blockchain in terms of traceability, et cetera. And I think that has benefits for a bank. And as a bank, we are looking at blockchain technology and, and how to apply that, not only in an agricultural sense, but you can understand if you're tracking and tracing that underlying asset, which whatever it might be, livestock, for example, if you track and trace that through the whole value chain using blockchain technology, there has to be advantages for all stakeholders, including the consumer who's looking in saying, I want to know more about how my wool was produced, for example, or is this actually Karoo lamb? I think there's immense opportunity for technology to link the farmer with the consumer. And in many cases where the farmer choose to, to tell that story. So NetBank has NetBank Ever, which is a double-sided market platform and either business to customer or business to business. That holds exciting opportunities. And we're doing a lot of investigation in terms of how can we apply this in the agricultural market. We are also doing some exciting stuff with Nextgrow. So Nextgrow has an electronic payment system, and we are working very closely with them as to how they optimize the value chain. So they're sitting with farmers, and they're sitting with off-takers, in this case, grain. And what is the role that NetBank plays in terms of payment solutions and coming in with an electronic platform that allows for the settlement of payments? This is a really exciting space. If I then go back a few years, and it was almost like ahead of its curve, if we think aerobotics, and aerobotics is a homegrown company out of Cape Town, two youngsters who took the world by storm and saying, we want to look at the health status of orchards, citrus orchards, fruit orchards, et cetera, and understanding how healthy is a tree down to a per tree basis. And Nedbank took a minority stake at the time, and we still hold a share in aerobotics because we felt they had a lot of value to add, not only to South African farmers, but as it's turned out, to international farmers. I think from that point of view, we continually engage with the market. We try and understand where the opportunities are. And at the moment, we have a number of exciting discussions with players around what does the future of agriculture look like? And where does this technology have a role to play? I mean, one of the most recent ones is Terraclim, which is based in the Western Cape, using climate data. They've gone ahead and installed in the region of four to 500 weather stations, mainly in the Western Cape, but coming northwards. And using that climatic data is of huge value. They're obviously trying to figure out how best that adds value to a farmer, but they're starting to look at, if you're looking to plant apples or deciduous fruit of any sort, grapes in terms of certain varieties, where's the best location to plant them? And this type of climatic data is not only useful to the farmer, but it's also useful to the financier. We want to know that this long-term investment, which can be significant, approaching, especially if you add shade cloth to the equation, could be approaching a million rand a hectare, the investment alone. If you're spending that type of money, you want to know that you're putting it in the right location from a climatic point of view. Is this variety going to produce what is expected? That's where technology is really helping us going forward. And, you know, I think to some extent as well, there's pressure coming, which is maybe driving some of this. If you look at 
carbon emissions, et cetera. If you look at purchases of goods who are based outside of South Africa, well, in South Africa as well, for that matter, I think people are becoming far more aware of what is the impact of climate and what is the impact on climate. And so this information that is required in terms of understanding what your carbon footprint is, depending on the consumer you're selling to, is wanting to understand this. And therefore, technology will help us do that. It's got to help us pull this information together in a way that makes sense and it makes it easy to use for all parties. I started off by saying that South African farmers have, in terms of the adoption of technology, I mean, that's been going on for ages. I really believe they are one of the highest adopters of technology. And that's not changing. I just see that actually continuing. What we've got to think about as a sector is many of our commercial farmers have access to that technology. And they have sophisticated farming operations, which have been using this technology and they know how to get the most out of it. You know, even the latest John Deere tractor, for example, comes with a lot of technology and there's information that you can use. So how do you make the best of it? How do we transfer that to the wider sector? How do we support the up and coming farmers who maybe don't have the financial resources? How do we ensure that this technological transfer happens across the board? Because it's available to everybody, but I'm not sure that the adoption is as easy. i put it that way. And I wouldn't say as good. I think if they have the opportunity, it would be there. But how do we ensure that it's used in a broader basis for what would be a really competitive and vibrant sector going forward? South Africa has a very competitive, vibrant, successful agricultural sector. And we need to continue working at that. And I think technology has a massive role to play in really achieving that and ensuring that we do remain sustainable. Thanks, John Hudson, Nedbank's Head of Agriculture. You can, of course, read more on this topic by visiting www.foodformzanzi.co.za. Join me again next time as we unpack how Nedbank can help you unlock opportunities in agriculture. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform so you never miss an episode. For me, Duncan Masiwa, our technical producer, Megan van der Fint, and the rest of Team Foodform Zanzi, thanks for listening. Life in South Africa can be a lot. I mean, scroll through Twitter for a minute and tell me I'm wrong. Thank God for South Africans though, right? We're inspiring and even on the bad days, we fight back with a smile. That's why I love Food Form Zanzi so much. They're not ashamed to celebrate the ordinary unsung heroes who work every day to put food on our nation's tables. Go to foodformzanzi.co.za and never miss an inspiring story.